0: Welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way, our Southridge member podcast, helping people get the inside scoops on life in our church. Uh, We're continuing to kind of navigate this COVID-19 pandemic around here and uh, are eager today to talk with our Vineland location pastor, Rick Swears. Rick, say hi to everybody.
1: Hey, hi, everyone. Good to be on with Jeff
0: we're uh we're again working from home through uh, a new podcasting format technology which is working great so uh Rick tell us what for the last couple of months working from home has looked like for you yeah i mean
1: the uh, the the station my workstation is basically in the basement and uh it's been that for a good 10 weeks now uh i would say that uh with the, the nicer weather the the temptation to work off the porch or off the deck uh, or even under our tree is is becoming increasingly greater, uh, but we're we're finding new practices and new rhythms. Uh, Carols at home as well, so uh, uh, we we've developed some uh, just ways of kind of uh, managing the the change, which has been certainly
0: quite significant. Yeah, yeah, isn't it amazing how significant I'm I'm finding with people I talk to, how significant your workspace is to just your your overall sanity and capacity to be to be functional during the season.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and initially you're just kind of in a reactive mode, but I think uh, gradually you what's in, been interesting is that you just kind of create these new routines. And um, you know, you you sit down at a certain time, and you come up for coffee at a certain time, and you, before you know it, you you've developed a kind of a new rhythm to your day, and it's it's home based.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wild. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. The uh, b before we get into stuff, we want to talk about regarding your ministry area, Rick. Uh, just tap into a little bit on how you're experiencing this personally. Obviously, it seems like forever ago where everything just started changing real fast, almost overnight. Can you remember back to that week before and and kind of leading into March break, when you got a sense that things were about to rapidly and drastically change? How how did that feel for you? What do you remember back from that day?
1: Well, I, I remember early on in February already paying attention to some of the news coming across from China and so forth and, you know, and having wonderings. And then, Believe it or not, uh, Jeff, we, as a department, we were actually in Florida for an exponential conference first week of March, March the 2nd to March the 6th, I believe. And, and here we were with 5,000 plus people in, in an auditorium in this, this great big facility and, uh, I mean, that was already the beginnings of COVID. And, and I, I just can't, it kind of blows my mind to think that we were sitting in a, in a forum like that with so many people. Um, and, then, and then it was like March 15th that we headed back uh, to Ontario and uh, w- was feeling a, a little anxious about what was unraveling because uh, things were happening very quickly then by the 15th.
0: Yeah, it was like the 11th and 12th when things started to really unravel. So right. still being in Florida, uh, you know, all of a sudden the panic sets in. And it's like, ooh, time to get back.
1: Yeah, we were checking the news daily, wondering if we should be heading back a bit earlier. Um, yeah, it was it was just unusual. Um, yeah, that would be the initial onset of COVID for us uh, as, as we kind of got, got used to this idea that we need to head home and get going. And
0: and Rick, outside of those logistics, you know, as this thing is kind of hitting you, and you're realizing, whoa, things are about to drastically change quickly. Could you feel your faith kicking it at all? Like, how were you processing this from a faith perspective?
1: I, I would say that uh, early on, it became. Pretty obvious to us, even as a household and as a couple, that there were things that we could control, and then there were things that were completely out of our control. And if anything, I think our default position became a, a posture of, you know, what we're just going to trust that that God is in this with us, and we're not going to waver. And uh, it, it 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 took some of the anxiety away, not all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean we we live in the age demographic where uh you know this is supposed to be of greater impact uh so you you got to be smart and careful but I think from a faith perspective there is the there's a resilience to to know that God is uh with us in the journey
0: hmm. and and you know isn't that true for so many of us the the lesson or the training ground on how to navigate things that are out of your control has been a huge feature of this for the last you know two three months. Right. Yeah. For so sure. that's I think that you know whether that's been a benefit or not is <laughs> that remains to be seen. But yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it's 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 definitely stretched us in that capacity. Hey, was there anything just at a very preliminary sense that was kicking into gear? as a spiritual parent, as a, as a church leader that you started thinking about, or how how were you reacting immediately from that perspective?
1: You know, um, I think given the fact that as a location pastor, one of your, your primary functions is to be a pastor of connection, getting people connected, being in relationship, uh, with people, uh, you know, when, when this thing started to roll forward, it was like, okay, so what is that what what are the implications of that? What does that look like for the pastor of connection? How do I do relationship? How do I how do I actually touch base with people when I'm it's not physically possible? Uh that that initially that was like, okay,
0: how how will that play out? You know. Yeah, I'm sure even driving back from Florida, you're starting to, you know, think about how things are gonna be when you get home and knowing like, whoa, I'm I'm heading back to fourteen days of outright quarantine. Right. And then who knows what after that, which has basically been continued quarantine since then. <laughs> right. And we can't we can't physically
1: be present with other people. Yeah. It's like so, yeah, I mean, it it kind of just rattles your paradigm of how you're going to do your work and what is church going to be like. And, yeah, all of those things yeah. are real. And that, that
0: would have definitely been a big part of the ride home. <laughs> now, obviously, without being able to meet, uh, <clears throat> we started leveraging technology and, you know, Zoom and FaceTime and things. To have you know some quick huddles and and develop some game plans as a leadership, and I know that you guys did as location pastors and as a connected uh, connection department. What would you say were were some early values that were emerging in your world, where when it came to how we wanted to see the church move forward?
1: The the uh, I think the highest probably the highest value. Um, is, is trying to ensure that we could modify our ministry, our connection ministry in a way that would still allow people to experience the presence of God and the presence of a relationship. Um, and so you know, I think central to what it is that we were going to do moving forward was that we, we wanted to be uh, initiating uh, practices and modifications to the way that we do connection so that we could honor those core values. Um, that, 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 was, that felt pretty central. I mean, initially, the first couple of weeks, we were probably all living in a reactionary mode. But the, but underlying, you know, what, what became quite central was just trying to modify our, our connection strategy in a way that would be able to accommodate COVID and
0: be able to accommodate people where, where they were at. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. We've described our, our ministry model internally, at least, and people who are listening can, can hopefully track with this concept. But as a simple church, not a whole lot of programming and complexity going on, but actually quite a streamlined, simple church. In your context, what did that mean and why did that matter? Yeah, I, I remember when
1: we, w- when we moved into a simple church philosophy a number of years ago and uh, really distilling all that we were doing as a church into, into three areas, um, inspiration, connection, and action, and, and actually finding that really quite refreshing because uh, it, it really focused our, our ministries. It really, uh, that three-dimensional lifestyle that we often talk about, uh, where we're trying to cultivate this full devotion to Jesus, um, I, I felt like doing that at a at a connection level, at a relationship level, uh, helps us to be far more focused. Uh, I, I know that uh, in in the in the early stages uh, of Simple Church, uh, we we shifted away from being a programmatic church to being more of a missional church, and um, I I feel like uh, over the last number of weeks, uh, it's just become more and more clear to me that uh, having that as our primary focus has helped us, I
0: think, even navigate COVID. I, I would totally agree, and if people are listening, I'd want you to really kind of capture this, that the shift to a simple church was not reducing a whole bunch of programs down to three. The shift was saying rather than inviting people into a mass of programs as a church, we're inviting people into a lifestyle. And so what lifestyle can we actually or ought we actually to invite people into? And I I like the way that you're articulating it, Rick, that the, the primary shift wasn't from lots of programs to a few programs. But actually, from programs to lifestyle, which matters so much these days because we can't offer programs. Uh-huh. Like people can't uh-huh. get together and participate in programs. Yeah, we can do, you know, we'll talk about some of these, but we can do alpha via Zoom or we, some of these modified programs. But it gave us the focus that regardless of our strategy, we're trying to drive a way of life. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that I would agree with you that that's really helped us in COVID because the way of life has remained constant. We've just had to figure out new, creative, innovative ways of trying to cultivate and foster that. Mm-hmm. That's been
1: pretty cool. I, I, and I think in in some respects, like I've said this to someone just recently, I, I feel like all the the work that's been done over the last ten years, especially, has been great preparation. For such a time as this, hmm. like just the way that we've refined the, our, 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 our method of ministry over the last 10 years, I feel like has enabled us to, to kind of hit the ground running with COVID. Yeah. Um, be, yeah because, it's because, we're, easier. because we are fostering this lifestyle as opposed to just uh, engaging people in programs.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And you know, coming back again to two three months ago, what what would you say was our initial goal as a leadership as this crisis unfolded? Do you remember any of that sense of like, at the end of the day, we want this? I I remember
1: sitting in a you know on a staff meeting, and and I would have heard this language even before that staff meeting, but. I think th- this is foundational to how we're navigating this season is that, is that we, we've looked at this, not as a problem, but as an as an amazing opportunity. Um, COVID COVID is sure is creating all kinds of new wrinkles in how we do church life. But, but at the end of the day, I think you can look at COVID-19 as an amazing opportunity for us to, to be the church in a pretty unique and, Unprecedented time,
0: and especially when you're, especially sorry, I was going to say, especially when you're talking, you know, even in your own experience of some of those initial anxieties, um, COVID, especially in the early, the first month, really tapped into uh, a number of needs that people maybe hadn't sort of recognized or faced in their lives. That that you know, if we're ready, we've been able to kind of rise up and. In that regard, shine like never before in trying to meet them. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Want to dive in then to specifically your world in, you know, your pastoral ministry and location pastoring and and talk first of all about how you you mentioned the modifying of our ministry. Talk about how we've modified this simple church model in the connection world. Uh, starting, first of all, just with how life groups have responded. Yeah, it's been interesting to watch our life groups.
1: I mean, that, that that's our, our first primary safety net, I think, in some respects in, a, in, in this season. Um, uh, I, I've seen many life groups uh, who would have lived in a pattern of even a biweekly rhythm actually ramp up through Zoom a weekly rhythm of life groups a, as a way to to check in, to to ensure that there's, you know, that system of care that is so critical to the life group culture. Uh, We've seen that happen uh, across many of our groups and and that's been really interesting. Uh, The other thing that's been interesting, I think, in the life group culture is that in a season when you're going into May and June and, you know, for some life groups there's a transition to the migrant worker program and so forth, there are a lot of groups that are still. There's still some energy in the group culture. Like when when we're kind of winding down in in a ministry rhythm and getting into summer mode, these groups are still connecting uh, because the the need to connect is so great right now. So our life groups have been uh, very instrumental through the COVID season. Uh, the the other The other thing that I think has really become Uh, central to being the pastor of connection is just finding new ways to connect with people. Um, I I feel like in a lot of ways, uh, because we're not allowed to be physically present, we've resorted to kind of old strategies of uh, staying connected with people through the phone, um, through even uh, snail mail. Uh, it's it's kind of leveraging new approaches uh, to uh, checking in with people
0: uh, and just, just seeing how folks are doing. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Early on, we, I remember we talked about pastoring like we were in the 1950s. Exactly. And just kind of getting old school and realizing, you know what? If everyone's life is a little simpler and slower right now, maybe just going through the Rolodex and offering up some phone calls – will give us a way to connect with people and kind of tap into to how they're doing.
1: Yeah. And, and the, the interesting thing is like, I mean, the life, the, the life group leaders are instrumental in taking care of those that are in groups and so forth. But then there's another layer of individuals who maybe aren't in a group at this time or uh, and it, it's it's a, it's basically giving it's given me permission i think in some respects to check in to, to see how they're doing how they're navigating covid how are the how are their families doing and the the response has been really encouraging and people have been appreciative um and it's it's just been a really great opportunity really to touch base with people kind of like never before
0: <laughs> yeah yeah like in addition to the the life group infrastructure i know that y- you guys as location pastors just kind of working with Jess Reimer made, made a database of, you know, not yet connected in life group people from our community. And again, just kind of went through the phone lists Uh to try to make sure that, that those people as well aren't falling through the cracks in a time like this. And it's, it sounds like it's been really meaningful.
1: Yeah. And it's, I mean, I've, I've also leaned into some of my, my uh, Vineland colleagues uh, who are leading ministry teams to to take on some of that as well, and so yeah, between you know the four or five of us, we've we've been able to cover I think a lot of ground,
0: and uh, just ensuring that our people are, are are doing well. The other thing I've been really impressed with, you know, you talk about the groups rising up like never before you know, the efforts to reach out, stay connected with people, even cultivate connection with less connected people. That's been a real initiative in your world. The the other one has been this need help, give help, uh, link that you've created on the website. Uh, talk about that process and where that came from and how that's been going. Yeah, that was
1: developed pretty early on. And, uh, and, and it lives on our website. And certainly what's been, what's been amazing, I think, is the, the numbers of individuals who uh, who wanted to actually leverage support and, and, and get out there and do something for someone else, whether it's a, a, ch- a chat or an errand or picking up groceries or providing financial support. Uh, we've had numerous individuals across our three locations participate in that in that way. And then we've had those uh, in our community who are in a, in a in a place where they actually need help, and who have uh, made that uh, known to us. And so it was a matter of you know, as a team, just coordinating those interactions so that uh, people wouldn't fall through the cracks and people would feel supported and loved. On uh, it, it's a it was a very simple strategy, but uh, a great way I think to to cultivate. Uh, a kind of community uh, or a system of care, I guess, is probably the best way to describe it, where we're
0: looking after each other as best we can. Well, and that segues into really what what I wanted this conversation to focus on, because I would say between the life group structure rising up, you know, the phone call strategy for not yet as connected people making contact there, and then the need help give help uh, system. You know, together that that has really elevated our system of care in our church these days, which has been mm-hmm. an amazing gift, I would say, in COVID. And uh to, to just kind of unpack that a little bit, and I think all of that starts with this concept called mutual member ministry. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, even from a theological perspective, that would be God's heart for how the church works. Describe just where that that concept comes from, even biblically.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are lots of references about looking out for each other and helping each other in in, in all times, not just in a, in a time of crisis. But, uh, you know, I, I think specifically of the book of Acts, and I think of uh, where, where, where Jesus gifts his people with the Holy Spirit, and this new church, is 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 developed and and within that structure of the new church, I mean, uh, there there was a, a culture of uh, looking out for each other, making sure that there was no need among them. And um, I, I would think that even at a time like that, and I I know when you read the Book of Acts, I mean, it wasn't like everything was just smooth sailing after the gift of the Holy Spirit. There was still challenges, there were obstacles, there was persecution, there was things that were getting in the way, and yet this was a community that made it a priority to look out for each other, to ensure that there were no needs among them. And so I, I think that's been really at the root of what we've been trying to do even as a as a department
0: and as a church uh, through the COVID nineteen era. Yeah, like the basis of mutual member ministry is that the care of the people of God is provided by the people of God themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, mutual member ministry is a contrast to pastor-provided ministry. And, you know, a lot of people come from uh, backgrounds where we assume that almost like a doctor, you know, the pastor is the provider of spiritual and relational care. Mm-hmm. And and I'm thinking back, even in the book of Exodus, back in the Old Testament, right. where you know Moses is encouraged, hey, you can't carry the load of being the care provider for everyone, and if you try, the people are going to go home very dissatisfied because they're going to have their needs unmet if you're the only one meeting them. Spread out the the load, and he actually talks about creating a system or a structure of care. Mm-hmm. Where different people and groups can provide care for one another that frees Moses up to what he, what his father in law calls the most difficult cases, mm-hmm. and you know it's 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 an important understanding for people to appreciate that a role like yours, especially in a time like COVID, has been as much a broker of the system of mutual member ministry to care for all of us, as opposed to just trying to scamper around or zoom call your way to being the care deliverer for every individual.
1: Yeah. And I would, I would say that generally, most people are living in a reality of right now of like, you know, they, they want to do something. They, they want to help. They want to be available. Um, even though we we find ourselves, you know, somewhat isolated, there there is still this innate desire to be of service to other people. And so you're right. I'm, I I get to broker that system of care, so that no one is hopefully falling through the cracks.
0: Yeah, which is which is a counterintuitive idea. I think that that people, I mean, everyone needs care and wants to be cared for, but that there is an innate Desire, or wiring, or you could even say Holy Spirit empowerment of people. And we've seen it so many times now in this life group system and this need help, give help system. And even in the phone call ministry that you guys have employed during COVID, where people themselves want to be care providers for other people, not just care recipients. Mm-hmm. Very true. And very cool to see. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, So, Rick, as we lean into this system of care, can you give us an example or even just one great story of God showing up and showering someone with his love through the provision of care from another person?
1: Well, there have been numerous examples of individuals who you know, wanted to you know, deliver some groceries or run an errand or whatever, and, and uh, about three, four weeks ago, I had one of those kind of individuals uh, basically uh, let me know that they were ready to, to do that, and, um, and so the strategy was to actually, uh, this individual is going to pick up some gift cards at a local grocery store. And uh, and she was you know going to drop them off at my place and and I was going to distribute them to uh, a couple of families that we had in mind and and what was interesting was her story because cause she ended up on my driveway and we were chatting and then uh, she she's told me this story of uh, a tomato juice can that lives on her shelf in her in her home and it's been on her shelf for more than 25 years. And I said, so what's the story behind the tomato juice can? And she said, well, about 25 some years ago, we were a young family with a couple of kids. And, and we were in a, in a, in a place where, yeah, things were a little bit difficult and somebody dropped off a bag of groceries for us. And, uh, it had all kinds of things in it. And one of the items in the bag was a tomato juice can. And we've, we've kept that can all these years and we've let it lived on the shelf as a reminder, as almost a symbol of what it means to be generous or what it means to pay it forward or what it means to uh, give back to your community. And uh, I was just so intrigued by the story because I think it's just a beautiful account of how things work in God's economy and how, how it is that we actually... Uh, become the stewards of the resources God provides for us and then, and then allow those resources to be shared with uh, those in our circle of influence who may have need. And Mm -hmm. uh, it was just a really great account. Um, And you, you, you could really tell that her, her generosity was, was driven uh, by some really beautiful uh, experiences and a, and a really genuine understanding that this is what we do uh, to elevate God's kingdom. We,
0: we reach out to those in need. Hmm. Reminds me of the verse in the New Testament, this freely you've received freely give mm. and uh, what a cool, uh, you know, a little visual image of what that can represent for a generation of a person's life. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it was a great, great account. Um uh, I, I was just going to, as we're wrapping up, say in, in your pastoral experience now for these last couple of months, Rick, are there any kind of needs that you've seen emerge maybe a, a little more starkly through the crisis that all of us in this mutual member care system can pay closer attention to?
1: Yeah, I think we, I think there is uh, just a, a greater sensitivity to to some who may be Uh, living in a a fair bit of isolation like I I think of elderly people I think of people obviously in long-term care I think of uh, individuals who are maybe living on their own at home uh, for whatever reason and and the the emotional impact of being kind of on your own all the time and living in a stay-at-home kind of culture Uh, I I'm I'm drawn to those situations and to those circumstances, and I feel for those people because I think uh, that that's difficult. And I, I would want us to be aware of, of, of just be sensitive to that.
0: Yeah, the exacerbation of of the aloneness right now seems to be really intense.
1: Yeah, I, I mean those those people come immediately to my mind, and then there there are others, I guess, who who are living in more of a uh, a, a real uh, experience of you know being l- limited in terms of their work, or their or their work has dried up, or they're unemployed, or what whatever. And, and for those individuals too, I think uh, there are there's a fair bit of an anxiety that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah, those that that would be the other uh person that would immediately come to my mind that we just need to be
0: uh aware of. Yeah, disproportionate aloneness and disproportionate anxiety, I would say, are two certainly two themes in this season for sure. It's, for sure. Hey, any uh any final encouragements as we wrap up to all of us listening across our, our community, across Niagara and, and beyond. When it comes to being this caring church community, that living out this system of mutual member ministry in a no need among us kind of a way, in really uh, this unprecedented time of crisis.
1: Yeah, I, my I guess my encouragement would be that at a time like this, I think our our human tendency is to retreat, self isolate. I mean, we're told to do some of that as well, but, you know, and you, when you do that, you kind of, you just begin to kind of be consumed with your own household, your own work, your own family, and so on. And I guess my encouragement would be uh, to widen the circle, uh, to find ways and means uh, to widen your circle whether it be in the place where you live whether it even be with some of your extended family uh, whether it be with a co-worker uh, I, I think there's there is there are still many many opportunities uh, uh, to be the church to others and uh, yeah I, I think it, it requires an attentiveness and an awareness and a, and an and a due diligence to to be uh, available for other people even even in covid-19.
0: Hmm. That's a great encouragement Rick and I hope that all of us will take it to heart and consider this week uh you know who and in what ways we can widen our circle to include that's that's terrific. So thank thanks so much for joining us today Rick. Hey it's a pleasure to to chat. It's always it's
1: it's good to kind of just even uh, be able to articulate uh, what what kind of consumes our everyday lives. Uh, but yeah, I really appreciate the
0: opportunity, Jeff. Thanks so much. Awesome. Yeah, and uh, thanks to all of you for joining us again this week. We look forward to seeing you next week as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everyone.